And welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And this week's episode is going to be great. It's a passion of ours. Um, it's DIY. We're just going to talk about do-it-yourself audio, um, all kinds of stuff from you know speakers to circuits to um, cables, you name it. It's, it's just both of us have a passion for this, um, and it's... Uh, it's just a thing, you know, I was thinking about it. I, a lot of talk and a lot of articles and, 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 um, I guess just published speech that you see anywhere about audio, uh, very little of it kind of focuses on the DIY aspect and, um, DIY audio is a special thing when it comes to maybe other disciplines in, in audio, there's a lot of, things that you can touch and experience and get to that you that you usually aren't offered for sale by other companies and so it's it's kind of not just a cheaper way to do it it's kind of a way to experience different um you know i don't know manifestations of our crazy hobby and sound signatures and that kind of stuff so it's a passion of ours yeah, and I think uh, you know DIY opens the doors to like a new perspective of audio equipment. Like you know, at first you view, you see, you look at a system and you see amplifiers and you see cables and you see speakers and you see yeah. source components. And then when you do DIY, you see, or after your experience with DIY, you see capacitors and you see resistors and you see filters sure. and you see phase you know, uh, responses and you see frequency responses. And, and so your DIY is not only a great resource to, to, you know, build a great component at a great price and have the experience of, of, uh, of making that component, but it's also an excellent outlet to educate yourself about uh, audio and the technicalities of it. Yeah. The building blocks and how it, how it works. Sure. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Any project that you undertake, you always learn a bunch of stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, Nelson Pass has been a huge uh, player in, Nelson's in, in been this. Awesome. And Nelson leads the charge. He's got a whole horde of, of makers that, you know, on DIYaudio.com, they call him, uh, what do they call him? Papa Nelson, no, Papa Pass. That's what it is. He's Papa, Papa Pass. Pass. Yeah, <laughs> they refer to him in the forums and stuff. Um, but he's got a whole range of amplifiers that are actually, you know, commercial products that you can buy. But you can also kind of wade into that world over there at DIYaudio.com and go make these things. And uh, there's tutorials. There's people who've done it. There's all kinds of suggestions of where to go from here, how to upgrade it how to do it your own way it's one guy was talking about okay i want to build this amp but i want to do 48 volt rails you know with this so that means i need this modification and that thing and some people are like oh i've heard the 48 volt rail mod on this it's awesome you know <laughs> so lots and of possibilities and right? he had um i don't know whether he was uh someone who who started it or not but uh a burning amp yeah, which was I think he, um, I think he was, but one of, maybe perhaps one of the right. one of the the founders of it. But but um, but that is something that used to used to happen. Um, he has and, an amp camp amp, and I think that's from oh, yeah, like that's some too. amp camp that you go do that. It's just teaches you mm -hmm. about it. You know, it's just yep. wonderful when he's 
when he's educating so many great people, but it's not just education when you're in the into DIY. It's it's personal fulfillment. Most of these projects, they're there for a reason. They're they're replicated over and over again because they sound good and they're they're really uh, a great result, you know, that you end up getting. Yeah, and I think Nelson does it for simulating, you know, just the the you know the passion in, in people. Yeah, and, and to to drive that out of them, you know, like people who uh, perhaps might be inclined to tackling a DIY project for them to build their first kit. It's an it's something that's already put together and walks you through the steps of building it really gets you, you know, on that path. And then after you do that, you feel more confident about tackling perhaps maybe a more challenging project. And oh, I, sure. I think Nelson's been a huge player in, in just bringing people into DIY and welcoming them into an environment and into projects that are, uh, that they can tackle. And then those people can move on to, uh, you know, bigger and better things. Sure. Well, and he's maybe the modern, uh, a modern guy that's carrying this torch, but this kind of thing's just been happening forever. Um, Yeah. Right. And you've, you, uh, you had a, uh, kind of an inspiration when you were younger with the, yeah my uh, grandfather so my grandfather was stationed in england uh during the world war ii as a doctor and um he was a subscriber to or he would just buy it all the time wireless world and um it just happened that a fellow by the name of tdn williamson um, got a column in Wireless World, or maybe had one previous, I don't know. But he started uh, writing about this this new amplifier design that he had. It was based on, on the theory around really wideband transformers. And he was going for wider frequency response than was necessarily at the time accepted as, as necessary. You know, there, there, there was still for a long time, I think... The idea that 50 hertz to 15 kilohertz was just excessively large, uh, you know, frequency response. And uh, he might have been trying to go beyond that, uh, just the, with the idea that, that if you employ this circuit and you, and you use these kind of transformers, that you can do it. And, and so he, he put this forth one column at a time. My grandfather's just eating this up and he's just cutting out each of these articles and, and making notes and and he, he, I think he started making his purchases over there, but he had all his stuff delivered to uh, America because he was going to come back to America. Let's see, he ended up, uh, I think he was in Denver at a, at a, um, at Fitzsimmons uh, facility in like forty six or forty seven or something like that. Um, but anyway, he started um, as soon as he got back, he started building this amplifier, the Williamson amplifier. <laughs> Based only on these articles, um, you know, he hammered this chassis together himself, bent it all, but ordered all the good stuff, the Partridge Transformers, the the nice caps of the day or whatever they were. Maybe Cornell Dubois, actually. I don't know if that existed back then, but um, I can picture him in my mind, these, cap, these big uh, caps that stand off the top. Yeah, and he made himself a two-chassis uh, Williamson amplifier. And uh, my grandmother believed that he finished it in either 47 or 48. And he actually personally thought it was one of the earliest ones ever created in America. 
um, and gave it to me. I have it still. He he thought maybe uh, an, a museum might be interested in it, but uh, I'm pretty damn interested in it. I actually got it back up and running a um, bunch of years ago, and uh, recently I've got an issue with the rectifier too, but i got to figure that out someday. But it's just mono, and uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh so that's my grandfather got me into high end audio because of stories like this, you know. Yeah, and then you were you were inspired by um someone else actually after that, um uh by the name of, of Deckware. Oh Steve. Where you sure. where you got uh you got into his form uh yeah. quite young and, and he he's also really into DIY because he offers a lot of kits. A right? lot of kits and plans yeah. and stuff. And they're challenging. Like his I just checked in on his corner for this researching this podcast. I was checking in on his uh, corner horn designs. There's angles that are that are just hard to cut. You know, and if you don't have the right, um, you know, tools and skill, yeah. So when I was uh, 14 or 15, I hacked together one of his uh, dual folded horn subwoofers. Just really complicated design for a 14 or 15 year old who is not allowed to use the circular saw because it's too dangerous. <laughs> and I, t- I did the whole thing with a jigsaw. And uh, let's just say some caulking and some, uh, you know, wood filler was my friend because uh, there were some, there were some questionable angles in my, in my, you know, creation of this thing. But gosh, was that satisfying. But you get so much better at, at at projects after you've you made mistakes and stuff and then you Absolutely. go around the second time and yeah, and you already know and you're just cruising through those Absolutely. parts and and so you know DIY is just that outlet to 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 you know like learn and and, and grow as far as somebody who who can build audio equipment and um so going back I just want to take a minute here and going back into some of the history of DIY there was um Someone who will actually feature in uh, in a in a future podcast, uh, Chris Brunhaver, who is the senior uh, loudspeaker designer at at PS Audio. His yeah. father actually founded uh, Speaker Labs, which was um, one of the large largest uh, DIY speaker kit manufacturers. Yeah, um, and then there was Dynakit. Oh yeah, which uh, and then Heathkit. So I have a Dynaco amp that my grandfather put together as well, and I used to have Heathkit speakers. Ah, so I mean, you know, it's been around for a long time. It it has, it has. Oh, and then the patrician. You didn't didn't Electro Voice have like instructions on how to build a patrician or something like that? And it wasn't just that speaker. Not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was like their corner horns. They just made the plans available and they and they show these illustrations with an old school saw and it's just like here's how you make it it's pretty cool cool yeah. yeah so so you know this has been something that's been going on for a very long time and yeah and people have been into into diy for a while and what's what's interesting is that you know diy today um as far as electronics at least um is is the most friendly and 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 safe way of of making stuff back in the day with these heath kit amps and the dynaco amps i mean you're talking about you know high voltage and all that that can yeah that can uh it can kill you yeah stop Um, your heart and stuff and so talk a little bit about that yeah and so you know i i'm just i guess i'm getting on to this tangent because um 
you know, for the majority of my DIY, uh, as far as my DIY interests go, yeah. it's been it's been a lot of amplifiers. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember the first thing I ever built was a um, was like a little op amp based headphone amp. Okay. Like a Seamoy kind of thing. It or? was. It was. Yeah. It was something like that, you know. And and I I built it up in a cigar box. Yep. And it was like uh, it was just some, you know, like twenty one thirty four op amp or something like that. And at the time, I was going. I just had started college, and I brought it into. I brought it to class and showed some some of the guys. Everybody was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool! You made your own headphone amp," you know. And yeah. Right. It so, is cool. but I learned a lot from that project. I learned about, you know, the inner workings of the circuit and what's interesting about, you know, diving in and, and actually building something is that at least with electronics, it, it likely will not work the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's right. going to be some problem and you're going to have to go in and you're going right. to have to debug that problem. And, um, and you know that that's uh that's something that really teaches you how circuits work when you don't understand why something is happening you start learning uh the the inner workings of of the circuits yeah yeah and, and what they need uh great example is this DIY audio project it was this F5 first watt uh amplifier build where this guy had this wonderful illustrated guide on how to build it and he gets to the last section where he's biasing the amplifiers with with uh, you know his potentiometers and stuff, trying to bring them up to these certain readings, and one side biases perfectly, and the other side won't bias for shit, and it's just like not even close. He's like, "What is going on?" And they're all identical components. It's all identical build. There's not a, a, a mistake, but he said uh, that he brought it to the the gurus online and the forums who were very helpful. And they said, oh, you need more load resistance on this one thing. And so he just found himself pulling resistors out, adding more resistors and building this giant resistor tree until it started to actually like bias correctly. Who knows why? You know, <laughs> just variation in components probably. And uh, yeah, I don't but know. But you, 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 into, you might dip into like, well, how does the bias work? In the first place. Right. And then that may lead you to understanding what's what's wrong with the circuit. And Absolutely. Um, one of the my large uh, inspirations for this kind of mentality uh, was a guy by the name of Jim Williams. Are mm. you familiar with Jim Williams? No. Um, Jim Williams was an uh, analog engineer at uh, Linear Technology. Okay. And he was uh somewhat uh, like self-taught actually uh as an engineer he he uh taught himself circuits and the inner workings of of complex analog circuitry through debugging and fixing uh tektronics oscilloscopes okay and so he would take non-working tektronics he would buy them up and he would uh you know fix them Hmm. And through through fixing tektronic scopes, he he found that he taught himself how all the circuitry worked. Okay, yeah, and it's to the point right. where he could he could easily debug stuff because he he understood how everything worked. And 
And Jim Williams ended up being an absolute brilliant, probably one of the best um, application engineers there ever has been in in the in the um, at least at linear tech, which I hold pretty pretty high. Hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and you know a lot of his application notes, which is an application note, is a a note that it's a it's a document and a paper that teaches you how to apply a certain uh, IC or design technique that has been developed by a large company like okay. you know like Texas Instruments or right. or Linear Tech. It's a pro- it's how to apply their product. Comes up with ideas of how to implement it. Their product. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so a, an applications engineer is going to perhaps maybe write an applications note and also help engineers implement that product in the field. So they so he understands it so fully that he can think of many different ways to use it suggest them give guidance toward that and like suggest pitfalls and stuff yeah that's that's essentially what an application engineer's job is to do but jim williams i think was on the forefront of being able to break things down better Hmm. and putting it in a better way because the way he learned the way he learned the circuits is that he he understood the circuit in in a much different sense it's it uh, think about this think about the different ways of learning how a circuit works like you can you can go to school and you can first see numbers you 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 crunch yeah um, math and stuff math yeah exactly crunch math and and you crunch uh you know uh certain equations that describe how the circuit works um or Think about this. Maybe, maybe you learn circuits by first debugging them and fixing them, and then you learn the math. I mean, they're, they're, those two ways. You, you at, right. in the end, you you're still someone who understands circuits. Sure, you know, and yeah. and you can't right. rag on either on either way right. of, of doing right. it. But yeah. one is application first, then theory. One is theory first and application. Most engineers get theory and then application. Yeah, and you're also kind of looking at the result constantly as you're debugging because as soon as you get the desired result, then you know, aha, I've fixed a bug and I've climbed and, and this hill. Why and did I've... you fix a bug? Right. And then you why yeah. why did why why is it resolved? Or did right. you did something snap in your head and, and did a light bulb just turn on and then you, you implemented that idea and then it worked? See, now you've just, you've just understood something about the circuit. Sure. So how did so, you come across Jim Williams' stuff? Is um, it books? Well, I, I think the first... Uh, I think I actually saw him in a YouTube video. It was the first time I ever saw huh. him. And, and it was just... Uh, um, it was actually his... When he passed away, Linear Tech did a little, a little video on him somewhere. And, and I first saw him. And then I realized that he had published a book, and so I read mm. I read his book okay. that described how he was, um, you know, into fixing oscilloscopes and how he learned circuits and understood circuits more so on the way of debugging stuff and seeing them work rather than theory first. Yeah, and then I realized that that's how I am. That 
that I'm not necessarily a theory first person. I'm an applications person. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, the theory is this and this and this and this. Gotcha. And somehow in the academic world in engineering, the latter is is frowned upon for some reason. Yeah. You know, just because it's not to their structure. But I absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, there's no no issue with learning application first and then theory. That's where I'm at too. You know, a, a plus B still equals C if, right. if B plus A equals C. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, man. Just I'm, to throw it to a language that they'll understand. Yeah. I'm not a math guy, and uh, that makes that can make it tough for me to get to that other perspective in some of this stuff. Um, and I would be the first to admit that I use uh, the the work of a lot of math guys when it comes to stuff I I need, but I am I am pretty rounded in in experiencing and understanding the result that I want and. Um, figuring out enough of what I need to know to get that result and then find the tools, find the calculators that have been set up by really brilliant people who are super into the math, um, get it done. You know, like when I'm building a speaker and I'm calculating a horn flare or a horn size or a port length or anything like that, I'm not crunching numbers. I, I, I'm not a math guy. <laughs> so, But I'll find... You know, uh, I'll find the way to it, and um, the thing is, is though it's me. it's not all about it's not all about crunching numbers. I don't know, you man. Know, Some of the p- way people write, sometimes it's like really thick on the math right away, the trigonometry. Well, that the that's the that's the theory that You're I'm talking like, about. Oh, I'm just know? I'm just saying that <laughs> it's tough. That some sometimes, uh, you know, there are two different types of people and how they learn. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there there are people who see the theory, and all that makes uh, th- there's a mental clarity with with the theory, and they they understand that and they absorb that. There's a second type of person who needs to see the application first, right? Yeah. Then they understand that theory. Sure. Yep. And yep. there's two ways of of learning, and and what I'm saying about Jim Williams is that he he really influenced me because he he taught me that that I was uh, like the same type of learner than you were okay. And I I read, I read his book, you know, and I, and and I, I realized that, that, um, that he had the same structure as as I did. And I, that's what I think, that's what I think DIY really incorporates is that and brings to the table is that you can get application and even for double E's, that's, what's really interesting is for double E's when you're, going through your schooling to do audio related projects to build circuits you'll 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 build a circuit and you'll bring it to uh, you know a uh, um uh, you know uh, even a professor or something yeah. and and they'll be they'll probably very impressed that's what's surprising is that that the application side of stuff with electrical engineering is lackluster Hmm. It really but is. But audio it's, is always satisfying because it's just tickles like other senses and in, in other parts of our like everybody loves music, you know, and everybody can appreciate a sound device that works with with low noise. And it's actually, you know, kind of impressive. Right. It yeah. It is. But it, it's also it's just that the. The the application with 
with DI with DIY, having hands-on experience can give you something that even going to school for electrical engineering doesn't necessarily bring. You. So so yeah. my advice is that if you are going through schooling right now for electrical engineering to to also be building projects at home. Yeah. You see that's how right. that's how substantial this is. Yeah. Is that that you need hands-on experience. You should be fixing stuff. You should be you should be building projects and you should be if you want to be a designer or you want to learn more about electronics, you need hands-on experience as well. Yeah. Right. The theory is great and the, the no knock on the theory. If the theory doesn't communicate directly to you, then perhaps you're an applications person. Yeah, don't feel like you're not you can't be part of this. Right. And and the the and that's what that's why I brought up John Williams. Well, I, what were some of the first uh things you built? Okay, so you built the Seamoy. Um did you did you ever do anything extravagant for your you know when you were in school? Yeah, well, I I wanted I wanted to. So the, one of the first things I I did past the after the the headphone amp was that I I created a an EQ system for my friend's speaker. So he okay. he wanted um he he essentially wanted to EQ these speakers that he used for just like radio listening in his shop and stuff like that. And I thought, um, all right, well, what we could do is, you know, apply a little bit of a, a curve and stuff. And so I threw together some op amps and I, uh, I designed and, and calculated all the transfer functions to, to yield all of the, um, the the correct curve that I want to apply and the EQ that I want to apply, and I built it for him. And he he really liked that because he he wanted these speakers were they were a DIY project and they needed a little bit of an EQ to to sound right for for just like you know NPR radio in the morning. And so yeah, I, I did that little project, um, but then quickly. The, the project started to grow and they started to grow a little bit out of control. I built, I built a, a 6SN7 preamplifier with a uh, 274B rectifier tube. Um, okay. Basically overnight one night, um, I, uh, I spent, I, I, I pulled an all nighter and wired wow. it up, okay. turned it on and I got like, uh, like negative four volts off the 274B when I should have gotten 200 volts. 200 and was yeah, like, oh no, that's not that's not good at all. And then, yeah. and then you know, so so again, whenever you turn these things on, they don't work. What's nice about tube equipment is that tubes are pretty hardy. <laughs> yeah, but they can also kill you. Um, oh yeah, we got some stories about that. Uh, but 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 anyway, so I went yeah. back to the you know, the drawing, the drawing board there and, and looked at what I could have miswired in the design. Turns out that I hooked up the rectifier tube completely wrong. So I had to rewire that, turn it on 200 volts. Boom. Yeah. Got it. Woo. Right. I'm up right. and running, you know? So, so yeah, so I built that preamp and, um, there were some, some people copied that preamp um, some of my buddies, uh, Pete Basinger and, um, and, and Bill Ennis in Charlotte, North Carolina, they have copies. Oh, cool. Uh, they have copies of that, of that preamp, which was like the first, the first version and the first, first thing I ever did. 
And then, first thing you ever like designed, just kind yeah. Of the first on, thing I fully yeah, designed gotcha. was was the six SS seven uh, preamp. And just for context, again, uh, in case we have any new listeners, Darren is a full time designer. He is senior analog engineer, design engineer for PS Audio, which is a worldwide, world renowned brand. Uh, I am uh, not an engineer. I'm a testing technician. I'm a musician. I'm a mastering engineer. I do a bunch of stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I work at the music room here in Colorado. It's the uh, we specialize in secondhand hi-fi audio gear. We're the world's largest. We have the <clears throat> largest inventory of this cool stuff. But um, so we bring our perspectives, our unique perspectives. Well, when Darren says this is the first thing I designed, that's that's. Uh, something you know because his current designs are in are in stereophile he's got a you know or you know part-time lots of different uh media outlets have have reviewed his amplifiers um and he's kind of just getting started with ps audio but he's already got a whole bunch of products uh, under his belt as a professional uh designer and this is not even the first company he's been a, a professional designer for so we're talking about the, the the beginnings of for you and and that's really cool. Um, I'm sure it sounds great if if Bill Ennis is super into it. The turntable daddy, right? The turntable daddy, yeah. Right. Bill Bill's just this. Uh, you know, he's a he's a bit of a big Bill. He's a big Bill. He's a he's a big big guy. Tall you know, gentleman. And, and he uh, he influenced me and helped me um when I was when I was younger. He he had a turntable shop in Charlotte, North Carolina, and yeah. We used to just like hang out every morning and um, I'd go and run and get some breakfast for us. And then we'd hang out and, and we'd, we'd work on equipment. We'd, we'd fix equipment. Yeah. Look okay. at schematics. Yeah. And maybe we didn't have the schematic. Fixing Macintoshes. Yeah. You know, fixing, Finding service so, manuals. So through that can. again, you know, I, yeah. I learned a lot about circuits through debugging yeah. and fixing stuff. Gotcha. And and I was going to school at UNC at the time for double E. And, um, and you know, I, I think that school for me, and this is just my experience with it, was that it taught me how to pick up a textbook and, and learn and extract an information from that textbook yeah. and then apply it. Yeah. That's what it taught me. But debugging and fixing circuits really taught me the inner workings of how circuits yeah, are done. And right. then also, what, what are good circuits to use, right? Because textbooks sure. teach you the fundamentals of yeah. things. And they, they teach you Here's the this theory. op amp, here's this op amp, and here's this, is, this op amp, here's this op amp. Or this is generally how the you know basic structure of an op amp works. Or this right. is how the basic implementation of an op amp works or how you apply it yeah but it's not how you apply it in the best way gotcha right it's not necessarily about application i mean john williams or john williams (laughs) uh, jim williams um he was he graduated from mit and he still credits fixing components to the majority the majority of his knowledge wow sure because learning from the greats kind of because you're you know he went through some of the fundamentals in school learned basic circuits but the guys at tektronics aren't doing basic circuits no right and so he learned and understood how those 
how those basic or how those advanced and really well implemented circuits at Tektronix were working. And, and he, he credited uh, that to a lot of where he is. So, so understanding and, and uh, application is really important and DIY gives you that. So anyways, after this, after this preamp, I, I went on to um, dreaming of, of, of bigger things. Um, I, I then got on to this dream project um, of making a, oh, I don't even know how many watts I was, I was aiming for, I, I forget, but a lot of class A watts, more in the, in the area of like 100 class A watts. <laughs> Out of out of a pair of, uh, I've seen some GM seventies, a GM seventies, uh, but paralleled, yeah, GM seventies. How many? Two. Okay. Two. I was gonna get like two GM seventies per channel. They were gonna be monoblocks, um, and and the GM seventy is this giant, um, Russian vacuum tube. It's a power power triode yeah it's very large uh, it's very a very hot. large uh, uh triode and so one of the reasons why a vacuum tube is so large is because you need a lot of power dissipation yeah and so these w- would run typically i believe like 125 watt plate dissipation which is very high yes <laughs> KT eighty eight's named KT eighty eight because it's roughly eighty eight watt 88. plate dissipation, yeah. right? So, so these are big. These are big triodes. Oh and, sure. Um and and so uh and so I was I was I was wanting to put uh like one point five kilowatts on the on the plates and I don't know I it Jeez. was like. I'm just like shooting in the wind here trying to remember yeah. where I was trying to do, but like hundred, it would be like hundred to 125 milliamps at that. And so, you know, like five times lethal amount at yeah. 1.5 kilovolts. <laughs> oh, these things must've been so, a furnace. I, uh, I've tested a pair of Shindo labs or a couple pairs of Shindo labs that use J, uh, GM seventies where the the acrylic like cover for them everybody knows who buys these secondhand and knows that that warps in just normal use because it gets so hot they're just dissipating so much going on there you know but yeah i mean they they're going to dissipate you can drive those things all the way up to their class plate is ridiculous i mean it's it's Come pure on. pure class a and out of a out of a pair it's cool I might have been shooting. I don't exact. I don't exactly remember the numbers. It was. It was up into like a hundred watts or so, which is just insane. Yeah. And and um, by the way, goal. this is set amp. I didn't even mention right. that. This is a set amp. It Single wasn't, ended. I wasn't doing push pull or anything like sure. that. I, I was just planning on doing set and yeah. And so I was yeah. I was like okay. I got to be up into like the one point five kilovolt region. I got to be. Um. I got to have the other thing about you know. Uh, power triodes is that they don't really have um, a lot of gain, and so their mu's are like extremely low. Yeah, and so right. what that means is that you have to swing a lot of volts into them. Yep. Um, if Ramp you it up beforehand. Run them into a region um, called class two, which means that they start to pull grid current. 
Yeah. Uh, that's going to lower the, by nature, it's going to be, it's going to lower the input impedance of the output tube. Huh. And so now you have to deal with a harder load as well. Um, but you have to swing hundreds of volts into, into them. Wow. Um, and so you need basically a power tube. I was going to say, as it's, a driver tube, you need the like driver a tubes are power, power tubes. tube. <laughs> yeah. The driver tubes are power tubes. I was going to use like 807s for yeah. 807As for the, uh, for the, for the driver tubes, some people use people have used like three hundred Bs and stuff like that. You know, just to drive the grid. Right, right. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, and so, did you ever build these things? No. Okay. So that's my that's kind of where oh. I was going was that I totally I totally wimped out. I totally wimped out. I bought the parts. I bought. Uh, I even I even have some of the parts. Still have some of them. I, I, I still have some of the parts. I. I bought the GM seventies and they were, they were, Oh my God, they were gorgeous. I wish, you know, it's still my dream. They're is, so cool. One of my dreams is to, is to make a GM 70 based amp. You got to do it. Um, or, and, uh, and or, so, or eight, four fives or something like that. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's, that's another, uh, the, the eight forty five is, um, in my opinion, a little bit, uh, easier to work with. Um, okay. the, the, the problem with the GM 70 is that the, uh, the filament alone, because it's a, it's a directly heated triode. Okay. It, it, so that's what, we, when we, when we talk about, it's generally going to be like a filament, which means that it's yeah. the cathode that you're actually heating. Yeah. The cathode um, is, is, is the heating element as pins. well. Right. Yeah. And so the, the cathode and the, or the filament, um, is going to be, uh, uh, it runs at 20 volts at uh, at three amps. <laughs> it's it's 60 watts, right? It's 60 watts dissipation just sitting with no plate dissipation. Yeah, zero plate dissipation. Crazy. Okay, so that means that the overall capability of the tube is 185 watts capability of dissipation. Ah, uh, that's a tube right there. So that it's one hell of a tube. And, and so, and and then, you know, that combined with the fact that it's very linear and, and also, um, it, uh, it, it can really take some volts on the plate so you can swing a lot into the transformer. A lot into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that they're inexpensive. I mean, back then you could buy like a quad for like a hundred bucks, which is like not much. Um, so that's why I was attracted to it, but you know, yeah, I wimped out. I was worried about, in the end, I was just worried about killing myself. Um, I, you know, it was probably at the time. Valid concern. At the time, it was probably a good idea. Um, you know, and I just take this time to say that, um, you know, some of these projects, especially when you get into the big triodes and stuff, ex- be extremely careful. Yeah. You know, and, and if you don't fully understand, the reason why I backed out was that I felt that I I didn't understand enough about application and how to implement this stuff to feel safe about dealing with 1.5 kilovolts. So Had Bill t- told you any crazy stories of his where he got jolted and oh almost died? I mean, Bill, you've told me a couple. Bill, just, Bill has some stories. I have some stories. You've gotten you know, I've, zapped. I've gotten zapped. I've gotten zapped times. a little bit. Oh, you have too? Yeah, just a little bit. 
Yeah, you, you know? gotta, you know, you gotta maybe get your first one done. You gotta get, you gotta get zapped at least <laughs> once. You know, it's like now how many times, you know, it'll teach you, you know, uh, your or your learning lesson uh, depends on the person. But yeah, four hundred volts of DC will uh, make your hand, you know, kind of feel weird for a week, and if you're lucky, it doesn't go from hand to hand. But yeah, know. so I, so what is the general? Let's talk about safety and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, sure. So yeah, yeah, start that off. Um, I uh, I want to just tell a story about one of the times that I got jolted yeah. and, and it really scared me and and the big mistake that I made. Um, yeah, let's hear it. So I I I woke up in the morning and um, I I started working on this. Um, I had this Luxman um, tube amplifier that I okay. that I had and uh, really really enjoyed it. Uh, I forgot the model number though. Um, but I was I was working on it and I was checking some voltages on it, and I unplugged it, and then I uh, I was recapping it, and so I started ripping out the caps and cutting out the caps, and it had been maybe like twenty five minutes. So you've um, got a soldering iron, and as we know, with some of these caps, the the terminals are close to each other, right? I'm just thinking ahead. I don't know if I've even heard this story, but I'm just trying to. Like... Yeah, no. So I'm I, I so I'm I'm taking out capacitors from this thing. I'm cutting them with a with a uh, with oh, a, a, a wire like wire board. cutter. They're not yeah. directly. No, on the board. no. Yeah, they're okay. on a PCB board. Sorry. Okay. They're on a PCB board. I'm cutting them off the PCB board. Um, it's been like 20, 20 minutes or so. I yeah. don't know. I'm not even thinking. This is the first problem. Step number one. Early morning. Always. Always assume that you're going to get shocked and always assume that there's going to be voltage yeah. present when you're dealing with an amplifier that has rails of 450 volts. Yeah. That's basically what the B plus, which is what we call the rail of, and that's of the tube. Healthy. It's, it's very healthy. Yeah. Um, and primed to, to, to kill you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyways, so I'm cutting them off. I remove the capacitors. Now it's the time to, to to apply my new capacitors and put them in, and so the, okay. basically I was recapping the amplifier, and these were signal coupling capacitors, and so I was, so I started the first one and I laid the capacitor down, I put it in the right position, um, ready to solder, and I take my my soldering iron, and I took my solder. And I have my hands or my my arms are resting on the chassis itself. Is this a two chassis piece or is it a one no, chassis? No, it's a one chassis. Okay. okay, your arm is on the one, chassis my, so the my, ground. So my so right below my um so right be, uh so right kind of like under my arm. Gotcha. It's resting the chassis is resting right under right. there. So I'm classic. I'm, yeah. So I take my left hand with the solder and I go to touch, I go to touch the, the actual, um, uh, uh, end of the capacitor. Cause that's kind of how you solder. You never, you don't really want to like put the solder on your tip. Yeah. You want to heat the element and let the solder, the, that right. element melt the solder. Right. And, and so I touch the, the solder first. Okay. But my right hand my right arm is resting on the edge of the chassis. Which is probably grounded. So I'm completing a circuit. Yeah, right. 
And that is ground on the chassis. That's on that ground. chassis is yeah. ground, yeah. And so, and so I touch with my left arm. The worst thing that you can do. So this is the mistake. My left arm yeah. is holding solder, which is conductive. Yep. And, and I touch that spot. Meanwhile, my right arm is resting on the chassis uh, holding the soldering iron. That's the mistake right there. Yeah, because so, then it finds a way through, and your so body is went the wire. Through, it went yeah. through me. Arm to I, arm. That's I, bad. I, be, I, I became the wire, Yeah, and I felt that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I was lucky for that not to be the, the end of me. Right. Um, but I got, I got hit pretty badly. That's a real bad hit when it goes arm to arm because it's you exactly know, your heart's in the middle of that. Exactly. Yeah. So I I was I was lucky, but I got I got hit. It was it was not fun yeah. at all, and it scared me more than anything. Yeah. Because I'm I'm thinking, holy crap! Like you know, you you're thinking you dodged a bullet, and you did kind of. Well, you didn't um, see it coming either. No. Yeah, and you, you and then you start thinking like, how did that happen? You know, because right. you're not thinking in the moment of. Where is the circuit being completed? You're just resting your hand on a chassis. Yeah. The, the chassis is unplugged from the wall. It's just sitting. Well, you know, the, the power supply reserve capacitors and the smoothing, the smoothing caps yeah. have energy stored. And just they're holding in that there. voltage. They're holding it waiting to let it go. it's sitting there. Yep. And so, um, and so it was just a stupid mistake. But... Uh, so this Actually, is why people put a hand in their pocket, right? And try to do things with one hand. Left hand, yes. Yeah, right. Heart's on the left side of the body. So left hand behind your body, okay? Yeah. Yep. Uh, behind, your, on your, behind your back. In that situation, if you were to get shocked um, from your, you know, between two fingers or something, you can cause uh, burns. Burns, you can cause probably. Explosions, basically, where the... I've heard stories of wow, skin of, of, explodes and stuff. Yeah, arms Ugh. basically exploding where it arcs out of your arm. That's not at 450 volts, but when you're yeah. working on transmission tubes at 2.5k uh, or so, right? They'll they'll actually the voltage will go through your arm and then arc to the table or arc to something. Something it will that's, break through and right. basically blow a hole in your in your arm even. Um, so it gets really crazy. You got to be yeah. really careful. Yeah. Um, and so, and so if you, if you have a situation where you're just going, where the, the current flows from like finger to finger on the same hand, you're not going to die from it because the, right. the current is just finding a path through your, through your body yeah. or through those, through that hand. It's not going through your heart. If and you were so resting really your arm on the chassis and doing the soldering from in there, it would just go from the solder in your hand to the where your arm is touching the thing. But you had kind of both arms, which is the most dangerous. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you wanna yeah. you want to really uh make sure that you keep your your two hands away from and away from whatever you're working on and that you're actually just using one hand. That's one thing. Yeah. Now an another really important thing to do is is you want to use a um, you can use a resistor to 
discharge the the capacitors before right. they work. That's right. really what you should be. Some doing. circuits actually have that built in, where you see them, yeah, uh, discharging it through LEDs or through through, or through some a resistor. Kind of like it's called a bleeder resistor. resistor. Yeah, bleeders. Yeah. Um, and so, but you you do want to check what you're working on, and you want to check it with a multimeter, see where that voltage is. Yeah. Something I didn't do that day, and it was a it was a big mistake. Right. Um. And so anyways, you know, so there's these horrible stories. I'm telling you these horrible stories because just be, be careful with, with, uh, with projects when you're working on them. And, and also know when a project is kind of above your, your knowledge and, and yeah. what you, you should be working on. And that's what I realized is I, I sunk a bunch of money into this GM70 project when I was younger. And I, I just backed out because... Um, I realized that I just didn't understand enough about application to be to be safe and and not kill myself. Now, if you want to uh, if you want to get into DIY and you're not ready to get into a little bit of a danger zone, be honest with you. That's what kind of kept me away from tube amps, which I was always attracted to, or any kind of amplifier. The first amplifier built was a very low wattage uh, tube amp, where basically you're feeding. You're running this tube off of the very bottom end of its load of its uh, characteristic load lines at like this. I think it was an AU7, and it's and you, oh. you can actually run it somewhat linear at 12 volts. So that's it, and then there's nothing more. It's not crazy. I think you can you can modify this one circuit I found to to 24. But what I gravitated toward because I wanted to get into it. The tube guys are cringing. Right yeah, they're now. hating life right now. It's fine. It's a headphone amplifier. It's not a speaker amplifier. No, it doesn't I, have to put any current. It's, I realize that. I know. It's and just, it's for low impedance or uh, yeah, lowish impedance headphones. I don't know. It was fun. It's fun. Oh circuit. no, I, I I know that. Have you heard yeah. it? You've seen it. I have. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it and I've seen it. Yeah, yeah it's fun. It was, it was nice. No, it was. It's the, it was ridiculous the, it's funny though, how low the, it was. Some of the um. You know, some of the, the tube guys, you know, they like they like their volts. Oh yeah, they sure, oh know. they got yeah, yeah. they got excited when you were talking about your one one point two kilo <laughs> volts. Well, anyway, so and you hit us with the twelve volts and stuff, and it's just ah. I shouldn't have mentioned that. That's yeah. that's a just. <laughs> wah, wah. I'm just kidding. Well, it was reason, actually a super cool amp, and he he actually had this kill switch on it, like a. <laughs> Oh yeah, like a nuclear launch kind like of a thing. Nuclear launch I found one of these with like double on. covers, and it's like click, click, and bing. Anyway, <laughs> very cool switches. No, so that's why I got into speakers because it's something you can do, yeah, um, without a ton of expense, and it's just wood. And what's cool about about DIY speakers um, that actually doesn't even exist with with amps because some of these amps you're, you're gonna find. And I've and I know this from working at the music room and just testing a lot of different amplifiers and seeing a lot. I mentioned the Shindo Labs ones that I've seen. We've had a million Luxman ones. We've had we've had all these small kit amps. We've had all these small companies that just produce maybe like a hundred total of this very interesting design. And so tube amps run the gamut. There's all kinds of stuff you can buy, just not even being into DIY, where you can sample exotic approaches to this to this thing. With speakers you get a bunch of crap. It's the commercial industry is like what they call it, like coffin monkey coffins and like, just like the most boring boxes because it's so hard to manufacture on a large scale, complex horns and complex speaker designs and intricate weird angles and that kind of thing. 
it makes so much more sense as any speaker designer to make a box that's just a box and then and then you put all your money or your your effort into you know great drivers and good crossovers and that kind of stuff but man if you're adventurous with diy side of speakers you get to experience stuff that you just can't experience unless you make it um you know there are i guess in today's day and age you go to enough shows you see some approaches that are really cool like like a lot of front-loaded horns that are really interesting, like avant-garde acoustics, and you know, um, I don't know. You just see people with these giant, giant front front horns. Now, front-loaded horn is a horn in front of the speaker, but like all of the 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 back-loaded horns and 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 just all kinds of crazy things that you can do with these things. The corner horns that fold sound into so many different asymmetrical passages uh that that are not that don't have flat opposing walls so they're just so incredibly uh complex to build the result is like they the goal is always linearity and usually it's to try to kind of like get the most out of some single range single full range driver or something like that but um yeah for me i've got if i'm thinking about dream diy projects that's that's kind of what i'm thinking about like like to the nines, you know, horn projects, you know, like, like Nelson's Klein horn or, or, you know, there's the, the Lothar TP one. That's actually really complex kind of inside. Actually one project that I would love to make one day is the uh, PGA Voigt uh, domestic corner horn. Have you ever heard of that? Is that the, uh, is that the corner horn that, that is actually wooden? Yeah, like the the throat is wooden. Wooden, and it comes up to the top with this big reflector. That's yeah. a big horn. I've seen that. Yeah, and uh, there have been a couple guys that have modernized the the plans that that they scrounged up. I think by by contacting some people in some archive and getting these things and realizing, oh, you know, maybe this thing doesn't add up. So I think there were somewhat recently there was. Um, there were some plans made available for these things. But. My problem with those is that you need too many watts for those. <laughs> that yeah. what's well, a single driver inside? It, way it, deep it's, inside. It's, it's, it's like two hundred milliwatts is way too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. There's so much like gain from the horn. <laughs> I know you're joking, and you are joking, and it's and it's true. You don't need any watts. for You these don't things. need anything. Nothing. I, yeah, I mean, I. I actually, so I remember efficient. having this, I had this like large apartment in North, uh, off of North Davidson in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, um, it had like 30 foot ceilings. We scored this place. Whoa. Like uh, we, we scored this place for like super low rent at the time. It was before North Davidson got, you know, more popular. And we just scored this, this amazing apartment um, for, for a decent, uh, you know, for, uh, an affordable amount of money. Yeah. But it was a but, good sound, but it was, apartment. it was a great, it was one giant room with okay. like a loft, you know? So the, okay. the room was, was large. Um, and so I had a, uh, my buddy, uh, Pete Basinger actually let me borrow a pair of La Scala's. Oh, and cool. so I got to hear a bunch of different. Um, that was like my first experience with with a pure horn. Yeah, you know, I had yeah. like 
I had uh, Cornwalls before or whatever, you know, sure. back in the day. But that's not a full horn, you know. It's no, a, it's, it's, a, it's a horn with a box 15. with a big woof- woofer, but it's got a horn mid and a horn tweet, and right. but front loaded horns. The 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 La Scala is actually is, a is back loaded horn, full so, horn. Yeah, right, right, from right. from top to bottom. Yeah, and so and so I started to experiment experiment with different amps on them, and uh, and I went down all the way down to a two watt amplifier <laughs> and and the two watt amplifier played still just as loud as, just as, as loud. like a 45 watt push pull you know because that's cool you're dealing with like you know when you get up to a, what are they like 104 or something yeah over 100 i think depending on what you're doing i mean you know yeah it's it's yeah. two watts is a lot when you're talking about the that. most recent pair that i've listened to have the bob kreitz crossover yep. mods you know and, I mean, yeah i think sonic and, uh, caps are in there yeah. Stuff, oh, yeah. Cap. That sounds yep. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, maybe the horn, the top horn, was updated to be a Tractrix or something. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. But, I'm. A, you I, know, I, I like horns. Something that you know you you touched on, and 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 perhaps one of my previous stories kind of hinted to as well is that DIY is is an outlet to do the insane. Sure, it's an yeah. outlet to yeah. to still do the stuff that just isn't possible when you need to produce a hundred of them or you need to right. produce a thousand of them. Right, and um, and and it's just exciting. It's exciting. For that it's, it, like, That's I what still, I was thinking I still about. have it's DIY projects. You know, like the sub project. Oh goodness, that, you are a DIY detail. machine. And so yeah, and so you know the uh, doing stuff that is outrageous is just a part of it. And and you know Nelson has done stuff that's outrageous too like the yeah. like the paralleled um uh of jfet amplifier he did he took a bunch of 2sk170 uh jfets which are small uh to92 uh uh transistors um or jfets that are you know you only get like 600 milliwatts of dissipation in each package yeah, and he used that for the output stage to create an amplifier by paralleling like a thousand. <laughs> any any he he like hired somebody to match a thousand of them out of his huge stock of <laughs> of um of two yeah. SK one seventies, and he made a huge JFET uh, power amplifier out of these small what we call small signal JFETs. They're not power JFETs. Yeah. They're small signal JFETs, but he just paralleled so many of them and matched them all yeah. to make this this crazy just power out- amplifier. Outrageous. I mean, is that something that you would ever do commercial commercially? No way. You would never, ever, ever. No. No. And so you go on DIYaudio.com. By the way, DIYaudio.com, amazing website for all things DIY. Yeah. Um, you get these you get a lot of the verging on insane projects people are are they're pushing it yeah that's what that's, that's what drives that's people that's what it has are, to be are the, yeah. it, it's the insane what you can't touch without without being there or, uh, or on the market a, you can't buy things on the market just yeah, they're just not available things that right. are just what right. is that like has anybody ever experienced that right what what is the experience like after you build it and you experience that that's what drives you to build some stuff that's DIY. I mean, it was just like your your horn experience of building stuff that just 
it just you know you don't even see a lot of like for, folded horns in audiophile you know audio anymore because no well i mean try shipping them try Try building them and try shipping them and and dealing getting FedEx to ship that. You know, it's I would never want to ship my my any of the horns I've ever built. Altec A7s I've built. Giant tapped horns I've built. Small multi-folded tapped horns that are still giant. I've, uh, my current speakers are giant. And they're yeah. 14 foot hole, for, horn folded in half. So so DIY gets Ridiculous. you. It, it escapes from from the limitations that commercial products yeah. give you. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll never forget this, this guy, a uh, customer of mine one day when I was back in sales, um, he was telling me all about this DIY mod that he did where instead of using RCA cables to go to his subwoofers, he used, uh, it's like half inch copper pipes and he ran two of them along the floor, <clears throat> not touching the floor, like lifted off the floor, but he'd run them these copper piping with these like 45 degree joints and stuff and solder them in just like you're doing plumbing. Like it was plumbing material. It's like half inch or something runs it to his subwoofers and then, and then brings it down to the RCA or whatever and connects it like that. He was just like going off about how great it sounded. It was just oh, incredible. It was just like, it's just, just the craziest like improvement that he could ever make. And I'm sitting here like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I would I will never know until I make it. And you never know. Right, you don't. Nobody else is gonna do that. Yeah, and so DIY can uh really span all components, all pieces of audio, anything yeah. cables anything in our rooms, it, it can mm-hmm. it can span. Like for instance, yeah. people DIY the room treatment. They DIY oh, I've done some of that. Yeah. diffusion and they you DIY seen, absorption. Now, have you noticed any of the room treatment in my house? I, mean, I have, of course. Well, I, I just, I only ask because I tried to make it kind of blend into the background too, right? Because that's an art. That's what you're trying to do. You, none of us can have those mastering studios where every inch of the space is like some crazy quadratic residue diffuser. Where it's just like right, right. But uh, but you um, but you still can make. You know, you've made some really cool diffusion panels, especially the one yeah. right on your right of your couch. Yeah, yeah. that one's really cool. And and so you know, the, um, you can. It, there are no bounds to to what you can build i mean you can you can design anywhere from from room treatment to amplifiers to speakers to to even people do turntables uh turntables are a little bit different of a deal but but you can still diy turntables i mean yeah. it's 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 everything and and building them and learning about the specific technicality that is involved in that in that item that you're trying to build. I mean, like for instance, well, a turntable will challenge your mechanical skills. And you taught me this because I had tested a couple of clear audio turntables including a, a like innovation wood master turntable where it's just like, okay, you have this giant platter and it's got neodymium magnets and then another giant platter. It's on the same spindle and it's got steel like little points. And the belt goes on the bottom one and the top one turns for magnetism. And I'm like, the, what I took home was like, I can do something like that. Like, I got to do that. And you told me, 
just you try to make a platter. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things to engineer, you know, in all of this to is to get it perfect, you know, so that there's no wobble, there's no variation. And you're right. Yeah. So, right. I mean, as far as a turntable goes, the the um the difficult is that the manufacturing is is the the tolerances to make it so that you look to like if you get on the platter level yeah. and the platter is spinning like yeah. put it on 45 and if you don't see any variation at all in the platter that is extremely hard i yeah. mean you're getting down yeah. to the air, aerospace grade precision to make right. that happen right. a lot of manufacturers what they do is they'll have some bias point some way to kind of like to be able to change that level yeah and so they slowly adjust and they'll get it right in the factory and then they mark where you're supposed to put the platter on um and then there are other manufacturers you know that are in a different world also price wise that just no matter where you put the platter on it's it's dialed on that level yeah and that i mean the you know, again, like if I had never gotten into DIY and never had thought about, oh, like, what does it take to build a platter that has that kind of precision? Yeah. I would have never really understood and respected right. when I do see a really amazing turntable. Right. And that's, and that's the other thing, too, is DIY. You may not, what you build may not be the best thing in the world, but maybe you buy, you know, an amplifier from another company and you listen to it and you just go, Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a creation, you know, what a creation and and what can I learn to get closer to that? And that's inspiration. You're not going to be, you're not going to be, you know, uh, um, a Diagostino or something right off the bat, you know, (laughs) he's been at this a little bit of time. Yeah. Well, uh, we've been we've been going on this topic a lot. We actually could go a lot longer, I bet. But um, we should actually probably at this point we're we're just past an hour now, um, and we I think what we want to do is get into our album recommendation of the week. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, it's a good one. Darren chose this one, and I have to fully, fully like agree with this. It's just such a good album. So. Yeah, and so the um, the album is by a a group um, and a kind of a collaboration of artists called a super group, if you might say super group. Yeah. Um, R plus R equals now. Yeah, it's a recent album. We're trying to yes. we're trying to bring new stuff to your awareness. It's not kind of one of the old audiophile standbys. This is uh, when did it come out? Was it eighteen? Uh, yeah, two thousand eighteen. And, um, and, uh, it's just a, it's just a absolutely fantastic record. Um, so it, it has, uh, Christian Scott on it. Who's an incredible, um, a trumpeter. Yeah. Trumpet. Uh, uh, Robert Glasper. Robert Glasper um, plays, uh, keyboards on it. And I think, uh, had, uh, 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 kind of the leader of the band he's yeah exactly i mean he put the band together robert glasper the robert glasper trio robert glasper experiment he's our new i mean he is we're talking about these are all new jazz uh heavyweights and right robert has been cranking you know yep. um in the jazz world in the last t- you know 10 years or something like that but who yep. else is on it and uh and so you also have um 
You have uh, Derek Hodge. Ugh. Uh, on 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 base. And well, then, let's uh, let's talk about the other guys first because I'll I'll bring okay. it back around to Derek Hodge on base. But. Yeah, you have uh, Justin uh, Tyson on drums on drums, and he Incredible. is absolutely f- fantastic. And so, yeah. what this what this album well, who brings? Else, who else do you have? One more. Uh, I don't know who else. <laughs> Tell me. I think there's a famous last name. There's Taylor McFerrin on keyboards. Oh, that's so this right. is Bobby McFerrin's kid, his son Taylor. Mm is uh is a keyboardist and i've been a fan of taylor's uh like electronic stuff for for a little bit of time um and so i didn't know he was kind of in with these guys until i saw this record where they're all together but anyway tell us about just uh, you know the the drumming because you were really responding to uh when we were listening to it just now the drumming well uh, the first thing is that you know what is the album trying to get to as far as sure as far as the the different influences of different genres and and you know first thing right off the bat i hear a lot of you know r&b influences with with uh, of course a, a melting pot of of jazz and and also smooth jazz like going back into like foreplay stuff yeah with uh, larry carlton and lee rittenauer and and uh nathan east uh uh chet loeb um yeah. The, these kind of names um and then but then you have like r&b with with um uh, a more you know uh modern influences yeah i think all and, these guys are influenced by modern like hip-hop and r&b and stuff exactly what, Definitely an, what an interesting and just um you know just a, a very a very interesting record yeah. that just really so makes so the record's about, called collagically speaking and uh and so it's interesting you're kind of thinking of okay it's collage it's a collaboration album um r plus r is respond or reflect they're talking about a nina simone uh set of lyrics which talks about artists need to be able to respond to the times and so it's they're they're kind of it's a consciousness album but it's also oh they're just putting it's heady they're it's heady man they're putting a lot of thought into this thing and then individually each of these players is just such a stinking heavyweight i i think you know I, i've been <laughs> the past couple of minutes really struggling to put this in the works right 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 it's i tough. can't even describe it. that's why i'm talking about the individual players uh yeah let, let's talk about Derek hodge for a minute he is yeah, my sure. favorite bass player in the entire world period and i'll tell you why um start on track let's see uh it's called colors in the dark track six listen to the first 30 seconds of that track it's all Derek hodge and it's only Derek hodge and this is Derek hodge uh this is what Derek brings to the mix and robert knows that because Derek plays bass in the robert glasper trio the robert glasper experiment uh Derek has uh three of his own albums of his own compositions you know, something I actually have been getting into in the last uh, bunch of years, and I'll probably share uh, one of these two at some point as one of our albums, but is I love it when a bass player comes out with his own record of instrumental compositions um, where he's doing more than just the bass. Like he's doing a few different parts, uh, but he's composing the whole thing. Maybe he has friends come on it. But a bass player's perspective is fascinating because there, there, there are 
working on the glue of the whole situation when they're playing bass. So when it's their turn to to create the composition, they're thinking first from that perspective. It's almost like your DIY perspective, where it's a different perspective, but it offers you kind of like a different different freedoms and that kind of thing and, and ways to kind of move around when you're not thinking about the math first, but you're thinking about the application first. So I feel like, uh, I don't know, he's just got really, really interesting compositions that aren't nailed down to anything traditional. Well, the whole um, album's not I traditional. I mean, it's, it's yeah, just, and it reflects in it's this. so out the, out of the box and just, uh, uh, a melting pot of all types of stuff. I mean, for instance, one thing that striked me, I mean, there, there are so many things on this album that strike me, but one thing that really stands out is um, if you listen to like the first track, Change of Tone, yeah. and you listen to Justin Tyson's work on this uh, yeah. in just like cutting that beat, and, and meanwhile, everybody else is just kind of in this, you know, almost like smooth jazz mode, and he just starts cutting it like he's playing for a D'Angelo, and yeah. just like are cutting you- into like hip hop beats. Yeah, like where he just starts like really dissecting the beat and like breaking it down. Yeah, I just think it's just absolutely fantastic. He's got a lot of touch, and even when he's going one hundred eighty miles an hour. So. Yeah, so it's it check check this one out. Is that your um, favorite track? What's your what's no. your kind of recommendation? Because mm. you you were putting on a great one the other day, and. Um, Oh my god! Can't I can't remember which one. Well, it is. I'm, I'm going with "Resting Warrior" is one of my. Is oh one yeah, of my it favorites. was "Resting Warrior." It was "Resting." Yeah, Warrior. it's yeah. that's one of my favorites. Um, you know, you got to always have the first track you want to listen to. Maybe listen to "Resting Warrior." Check out the drumming on "Change of Tone," um, but uh, but it's just more than anything. Just listen to the whole album if you're yeah. Even if you're not really, you haven't been introduced to to hip hop before. Maybe this is something that will get you kind of, or I should say more so R&B side of stuff, warmed up to that, you know, where it has a big influence from from, from like kind of like the funk and R&B of like something like D'Angelo mixed with, with, uh, with, with just fusion jazz influences, you know, like these, these greats like Larry Carlton yeah. and, and uh, Lee Rittenauer, who who have been, um, you know, are arguably, you know, some of the yeah, some the of world's best uh, jazz guitarists in the modern age. These guys are modern greats. So please yes. check it out. Uh, R plus R equals now. It's a it's an album full of heavyweights, and you're gonna love it. Well, I guess that uh, that sort of wraps up our our discussion today. It was really fun, um, as it always is. Darren just kind of coming and hanging out. Uh, drinking great beer we got a melvin delicious melvin ipa right now but but really just just kind of getting our audio chatter out so uh <laughs> we we hope that you guys enjoy listen to it too and uh yeah and i i hope uh that you know be inspired by um diy audio and if you have a project in mind or you stumble across a project the internet is is just uh um, it's waiting for you yeah there there Your are questions. so many so many there's answers out there answers but also projects to follow on the internet and to build your own thing um it, it's it's something that can really teach you the inner workings of circuits and also it can be a fun experience that that then you can add to your system and and that's a whole another special um feeling so when rewarding it's, when it's something that you've made yeah yeah 
All right, you, guys. You're gonna love it. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm uh, I'm Duncan. I'm Darren, and it's been the High Five Podcast. Darren Duncan. Thanks for listening. See you next week. See ya. The High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor, and it's copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios. It features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors. 